Our thoughts and our prayers, uh, they go out to the families and, and the friends of everybody that was hurt and uh, everybody that was killed in Santa Fe, Texas on, uh, on Friday. And there really, there really are no words. There, there are no words that I could possibly say that could do justice to them, do justice for their families. Uh, that wouldn't even be possible. But I want to say this to you guys, to our church. And this has been really, really heavy on my heart. And I know I've said some things like this when things like this have happened before, but people matter. Lives, lives matter. Kids, kids matter. And just because something maybe happens a lot, maybe because, just because something happens often, it doesn't mean that that is not the most awful thing that could ever happen in ever, every single time it happens. We must fight against this urge to just kind of subtly grow a little bit numb when we hear news like this. Because we hear it so much. We hear it over and over again. We hear it all the time. Our world needs Jesus so badly. We need Jesus so badly. We need Jesus' people, people of the way, to rise up in areas of empathy and compassion, in areas of justice. And do whatever we can possibly do to be a part of that solution. Um, you know, my heart has just been absolutely broken these last two days for all of those kids. It's just been, it's just been broken. And, and I know that the world is full of bad news, so that's nothing new to you. We, we hear it all the time. It, you don't have to look too far for it. So you kind of got to be careful with it, like, with like what you let yourself get sucked into, because you can spend your whole life just looking at bad news and scrolling through Facebook and clicking on links and finding out, oh, the world is getting worse and worse, the sky is falling further and further, all that. And, and I know that we need to be careful of that, but I want to say this. When it comes to things like this, I intentionally allow myself to get sucked into that a little bit. And the reason that I do that is because I want to hear the stories. I, wanna, I, I don't ever want to forget that behind every statistic that we hear about is a story. It's a person who has a story just like I have, just like, just like you have. And as often as this happens in our world, I, I, I am fighting in my own life to never let myself come to a day when I hear news like that and I don't feel it deeply in my heart and in my soul. So please pray. Prayer does matter. I know, I know people think, oh, that's the cop-out, that's the easy thing to say. But don't ever let anybody convince you that prayer doesn't matter. Don't let ever anybody convince you that prayer doesn't change things. We serve a God who, tell, who tells us that prayer does change things. And prayer is something that we can all do. But it is important, I think, that we also look around. We look around our world. We look around at what's going on. We join the conversations that people are having. And we listen. And we try to figure out, is there more that we can do? And what that might look like for you in your life. But... Let yourself cry sometimes. I know that may sound like kind of strange advice, but I mean it. Some, let yourself cry sometimes. Cry as if they're your own kids. Cry as if they're our kids. Because they are our kids. And they're the future of our world. And those are our kids. And I don't know why I needed to say that, but I just, I felt like with how the world is and how it's so everywhere and we just dumb it down, we can't. 
So don't let that happen in your life. Okay, now I'm going to shift gears again out of that kind of somber moment. Uh, Today is Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if you guys knew that, but today's Pentecost, which is very, very exciting, right? Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost, I'm not going to get into the history of Pentecost today. We did a whole, uh, whole sermon on that called Pentecost. You can go look that up online as far as like what that meant uh, to the Hebrew people, what it meant in the Old Testament, and then what it meant in the New Testament. Today I'm just going to kind of pick up on what it meant to the New Testament just for a brief moment, just because that's what's going to help us uh, segue into our sermon and into where we're going today in our passage in John. But Pentecost is this moment in Acts chapter 2. The word Pentecost means 50. It, it originally meant 50 days after Passover. Uh, and so, so, but then the, all of the people, all of Jesus' followers and disciples, they were all together in one place celebrating Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They were celebrating a holiday that already existed. And while they're there, what happens is they're all in this room, they're all of one accord, and the Holy Spirit just falls on all of them. And, he, and, and it's a prophecy uh, fulfilled. It's a fulfillment of a prophecy in the Old Testament uh, that, that, that says the Spirit's going to fall on, on, all, on all, all men, all women, all flesh, that your sons and daughters will prophesy, you're, you're going to see dreams, and the whole thing. It's all this amazing fulfillment of, of, of the prophet Joel. And, and what, what, what it actually what's happening is going on, the Spirit falls on all these people. They start speaking in tons and in different languages. Uh, they, the, there's fire. It's just amazing. And what it was, was it was an amazing sign to the whole world of just how much God loves them. And just how much God will pursue them and is after them and is chasing them. That he would speak to me in my own language through somebody who doesn't even know my language. Like, just to show me how much he loves me. That's, that's pretty amazing. And really, a lot of people consider Pentecost in Acts 2 to actually be the birth of the church, kind of this first moment that launched the church into what it would later become. It was a moment that the Holy Spirit really fell on the church, and it empowered them, and it gave them the confidence that it needed, really, to go and change the world, to go and do the Great Commission. Jesus gives them the Great Commission. He says, I'm not sending you alone. First, I'm going to give you the Spirit to do this commission with. So that's just a real quick Cliff Notes version of Pentecost. It is this very important moment in history where God makes the Holy Spirit available to everyone, to you, to me, to all of us. And though today's message is not going to be about Pentecost, the moment uh, that took place during Pentecost after Jesus' ascension is a very significant moment, and it plays a very significant role into the passage that we are about uh, to talk about today. So we're going to, it's a very difficult topic that we're going to dive into today, but we're just going to go for it. So let's all open up our Bibles together to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 through 27. Okay, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you have, or you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. 
Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we thank you so much, God, uh, for your holy scriptures, for your word, Lord, that uh, we can look into these scriptures and try our very best, Lord, to pull out, like, through your Holy Spirit, we can actually pull out what this means to us and what this looks like in our lives, God. And that's what we're praying for today. We're asking that you'd speak to our hearts and to our lives, that everything you would have me to say, God, that you would say, I would say, and that everything else falls to the ground before it ever comes out of my mouth. Lord, we thank you for all you've done in our community, what you did yesterday through Courage Cares, what you're doing in our world, God. We just are honored to be a part of it. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Uh, if you're new in this place, just to give you a bit of an insight on kind of what we do here, a lot of times we do passages where we, we'll pick a book of the Bible and we'll teach through like that entire book line by line, which is why we're on a, you're probably reading like, what are they even teaching about today? What, are the, what is this even? This is a very strange passage. Well, what we like to do is we, we like to teach the, through the Bible like that because it forces conversations because the Bible dives into all of the, some of the most difficult topics you could ever imagine. And this forces those conversations and it's, it's for forced us to talk about divorce. It's forced us to talk about lust. It's forced us to talk about anger. It's forced us to talk about, um, about money. It's forced us to talk about all sorts of different things that we uh, maybe would try to avoid if we could just choose whatever we talked about. So that's why we do this. So today this passage is very heavy on this concept of antichrist. Came in a good week. When I say the word antichrist, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? For many of you, you probably think end times. You probably think it's the end of the world. You think everything is going to burn. And if you're at least somewhat familiar with the Bible, you may respond to me by saying something like Book of Revelation, the apocalyptic book about the end of the world. And depending on kind of how deeply rooted you are in the church, how much you've been in the church in the past, you may say something like it's going to be a world leader who will unite people and then ultimately set out to destroy the whole world. <laughs> Something along those lines. Like that's kind of what people think. And when you read the book of Revelation, okay, there is certainly a case to be made for someone like that who is to come. Uh, it's often referred to in Revelation as the beast. But this particular word, so word antichristos, believe it or not, this word only shows up in the entire Bible five times in only four verses in the entire Bible. And just to give you a little bit of an idea, in the verses we just read, that whole section we just read, it's the first time you read about the Antichrist in the entire Bible, and you read about him three times. Which means 60% of the times the Bible talks about an Antichrist, we just read. 
So here are the four places that you read the word antichristos. 1 John 2, 18, you read about it twice in that verse. First verse we read. 1 John 2, 22, we also read. If you move a little forward, 1 John 4, 3. And then lastly, 2 John 1, 7. Nowhere in the book of Revelation does the word antichrist appear. In fact, the only place you get it is John's first and second letters. John also wrote Revelation. But in these epistles, these small letters that he wrote is the only time he uses this word. Now, again, when you read Revelation, you definitely get a description of a lot of things that are anti-Christ. You get some pretty shady characters in Revelation. So it's like that character, the beast, who is likely the one that we often associate as, well, that's the Antichrist. Like, that's what we say. That's the Antichrist. But when John actually uses this term in his letter, he doesn't so much imply that it's one person who's going to take over the entire world system as much as he describes it as a characteristic that several people may have who are all deceivers. Just look closely at what he says in verse 18 when he says it twice. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, Antichrist singular is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Antichrist coming, but wait, there's actually more of them. Many Antichrists, and in fact, they've already entered the world. In other words, there were then in John's day, and there are now, and there will remain until the day that Jesus returns, antichrists among us. And I love the fact that the Bible translators, when they write this, they actually translate it and they make it the A little. It's lowercase. It's not a capital letter. Um, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We were talking about in the Old Testament, there's a prophecy. Um, a few different times you get about the pro- some, someone called the branch. Now, a branch is, a, is a, like a stick. It's a piece of a tree. You would never capitalize the branch, but they always capitalized the branch because the branch was, taught, it was actually a prophecy about the Messiah, who we later see as Jesus. This is a person. Okay? But Antichrist, they do not capitalize. And Antichrist is the one that we always think is going to be like this one big person who's going to destroy the whole world. So something that you and I, we would think we would never treat a branch like a person. They get a capital B, but something the majority of the world is scared of, being a person who's coming, the Bible doesn't even find it significant enough to capitalize the translators of the Bible. Because this word is not referring to somebody specifically or at least somebody exclusively, as in one leader who will deceive the whole world. It is referring to something else. So if it's not a specific person, what is it? Well, if you turn your Bible, it's just, just, you probably don't even have to turn the page to get to 1 John 4. It says this in 4, 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus, um, it, uh, that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is in the world already. This is, this is 1 John 4, 3. So according to John, again, who's the only person who uses the word Antichrist, the Antichrist is a spirit. And in fact, it's a very specific spirit. The, this Greek word Antichristos, what it means is instead of Christ or one who seeks the place of Christ. Okay? It's a spirit which aims to show us Jesus Christ is not actually God. You can have something, it's a spirit that says you can have something other than Jesus Christ and you're going to be just fine. That's the Antichrist spirit. 
Most of us, if, we're, if we actually do a self-diagnosis of our lives, we, we should be fighting the spirit in our own lives. When we live convinced that there are things that we can do to get to God, that's an antichrist spirit. You think, I can earn my way to salvation. That's an antichrist spirit. There are actions we can take. If we believe, hey, I can do this, and that's going to get me to God. We should be fighting that spirit because it's antichrist. Some of us fight the spirit in our own lives with the pride that we have, where we kind of lift ourselves up for the things that we accomplish and for what we do instead of Christ. Do you guys remember two weeks ago when we talked about uh, 1 John um, 2, verse 16, and it says this, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those things are not from the Father, but they're from the world. See, if you read this as a one complete piece, because that's what it is, it's one complete piece, John goes from thought to thought to thought. Do you want to see how the enemy is working in your life? Begin by looking there. Is it lust? Is it greed? Is it pride? What is it for you? What are the things in your life that you have chosen instead of Christ? It's easy for us to read things like the Antichrist, read about things like that, and think future, think revelation, think this is coming, think that doesn't apply to me right now. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to take you to Revelation, just for a minute, and I'm going to show you why I believe with all my heart that if you can't rule over the Antichrist in your own life right now, you should have no reason to believe that you're going to be any different later on, should you actually be face-to-face with the one that we all dub the Antichrist. We absolutely need to figure out what this means for us today. Not only will it help us live better lives now, but it will also show us a lot about our future. It's just like we talk all the time. We talk about salvation, and we say, salvation is now. Salvation is now, and the salvation is forever. You're not just getting saved so that you can go to heaven. You're getting saved so you can live in the kingdom of heaven right here and now and make the world a better place and be a part of a community of people who love Jesus and are ushering in heaven and showing them to the world. It's the same way with this. You have to realize if you view the Antichrist and the devil and all these different evil things as just something that you read about in the Bible that is coming, you're going to miss the fact that John says it's in the world already. And that matters. Because if you give your life to, to anything instead of Christ now, you will waste your life now. And we don't want you to waste your life. We spent two weeks on that concept already, so I'm not going to go much more into that. But there are things that are eternal, and there are things that will fade. And we get to choose which one we dedicate our time to, which we choose to dedicate our money to and our attention to. A lot of people, they spend their whole lives building this kind of empire of self, which is all going to be gone one day anyway. We know that. Instead of investing in things that last forever. But what is that? Why do we do that? It's something instead of Christ. It's antichristo. John says, this is here now. And that had enormous implications in John's day. And quite frankly, it has enormous implications for us here today in our modern world. So in John's day, and we're not going to talk much about this, but the primary false teaching that, was that, that kind of he, had to form, he had to formulate this rebuttal against was something called Gnosticism. And we're going to teach more on uh, that when we get to 1 John 4. But the big idea in one sentence was that Jesus Christ did not actually come in the flesh. They said, well, this is God. Jesus is God. 
But he only had the appearance of man, meaning that man, the person of Jesus, was not actually God. That's an antichrist. There's a lot of reasons that this is a big deal, but this is what we want to focus on today. I don't want to focus so much on what their teaching was as much as the fact that there was a teaching in the church that was different from the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel is that you and I have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And we deserve to die for those sins that we've committed. That's the gospel. Because we're not who we should be. We often give in to things like pride. We often give in to things like lust and to greed and all those things. But because God loved us so much, he sent his only son to die in our place, to die for our sins, taking on flesh and blood, being fully man, living a perfect life, yet being fully God the entire time. And that's what he did. He lived a perfect life, and then he died for our sins. That's the gospel, because we deserved it, but he paid it. And the gospel says that if you believe that, that's solid ground. Stand on that, and, you'll, and you'll, be, you'll be good. You will be saved. If you believe you need Jesus, and you accept Jesus, the Bible says salvation is yours. But what was going on in that church were these antichrists were essentially undermining that idea. And they were saying, God would never, like actual God would never actually die for you. That yet Jesus might die for you as a person, but God would never die. What they're doing is they're giving you something instead of Christ. It's this idea that the gospel is not what the gospel says that it is. And so when John writes, he explains how we can't tolerate this in our churches. We cannot let our churches be filled up with people who are teaching something that is anti-Christ. We can't tolerate people that are spreading a false gospel. They have to go. They have to change or they have to go. And it's clear that a lot of them left because he says this. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. I want us to really think about this for a second, okay? This church was not healthy. John's church that he's writing to, they're getting healthy, but they weren't healthy. Because there was a lot of people, but they didn't believe, they didn't only believe the wrong things, they were actually teaching people the wrong things. They were spreading the wrong things. And John's saying, church, the only way that you're ever going to move forward is if you take a step back and we figure out what's going on that needs to get weeded out, and we need to get it out, and we need to build the foundation on Christ and on the gospel. Then we can move forward together in health. Which, as I was studying this, and I was meditating on this, and thinking on this, I realized this blows that concept out of the water that says, well, healthy things grow. If it's, gro if it's not growing, it's not healthy. Okay? Yes, I believe if things are healthy, in time, God will bring growth to them. But unhealthy things grow too, like cancer. Cancer grows very, very quickly, and it is very, very destructive. If you don't catch it very early, the problem gets a lot more difficult to solve, doesn't it? Now think about our world. Okay, just think about where we are in our world. Think about how much the world has changed in just the last few years. Have you seen how many people, in just the last 18 months, have you seen how many people have given up on the church? Have you seen how many people have even become vocal enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Vocal enemies of the church in particular. Have you seen how inside the church, so many ideas have become, even, even in the church, have become anti-Jesus? Yet they make people feel so good about themselves 
that they, that, that they buy into it. And maybe it spreads quickly. But antichrists are in the world already. Just because something is take, gaining traction does not mean that it is right. I watched this brief video um, about, about the school shooting on Friday. They were interviewing one of the survivors, and one of the students, um, this is what she said, and this, this paints such a clear picture of where our world is, and it should, it should break your heart as much as it broke mine. The interviewer asked her, asked, asked her this question. He says, is there even a part of you that as this was happening, as the school shooting was happening, is there even a part of you that thought, this isn't real? This would never happen at my school? And she said, no. There wasn't. She says, this has been happening everywhere, and I always kind of knew this eventually was going to happen here too. What have we, as a world, as a society, what have we chosen? What path are we taking? What have we clung to instead of Christ? That a teenage girl would say that she goes to school every day expecting that one of these days somebody's going to come in and start killing her friends. Because that statement that she made, this is a statement about the whole world. And about the many parts of our world which we have had an opportunity to make Jesus the center, but we've chosen something else instead. We need Jesus in our world. We need Jesus in our schools. And anything that tells you otherwise is an antichrist. Anything that causes you to live your life as if you do not need Jesus, that is an antichrist. Just for instance, politics. I believe that there's a place for politics in our world. I believe that the church can even and oftentimes should have a role in it. But when the church treats politics like it's the thing that's going to save them, even though you might say, well, Jesus is my hope. You could say that all you want. It's pretty obvious from the way you speak and the way you live your life that ultimately it's not Jesus who you believe is going to bring about real change in our world. You don't trust that he's going to do that. You might say Jesus is my savior, but you live in your life like it's going to be a political system that is going to bring you the justice that you think you deserve. Or a political system that is going to bring you the goods that you think that you need. Or going to keep you or take away the rights that you think that you deserve. It's anti-Christo. If you watch closely, guys, and if you've, if you've been watching what's happening, and I know this has been happening forever, I'm just focusing on it now because this is what I'm seeing, you'll notice the world was not changed overnight. It was changed very subtly and very slowly, and it's getting easier to change it more quickly now. It was like a cancer that wasn't caught. And now, the church and the Christians and everybody, we're freaking out because we don't know what to do with the fact that it's harder and harder to have a voice in such a loud world. But I'll tell you what we can do, because there's only one thing we can do, really, and that's trust Jesus. We can make sure that we are always choosing Jesus, and we are never choosing anything instead of Jesus. I don't want to spend a lot of time on, on end time stuff. I don't want to do that. But I, I do want to share one thing with you. 
Because I want you to understand kind of what the big picture is in the way that the Antichrist is going after us, even now in our lives. He's using the same tactics now that he will use in the end. If you read Revelation, you see that even the beast, who clearly has the spirit of the Antichrist, what he controls is he controls the money. It's in Revelation 13, you can read about it. It it says that this is how they're going to get so many people to give into it. Nobody's going to be able to buy or sell anything unless they get this mark. They get the mark of the beast. They, They somehow, what happens is they somehow subtly, slowly got the world to a place where it completely depended on them. And these things took, happened in the ancient world too. So they somehow got the world locked into a system in which you cannot have the things that you need for yourself and for your family without this, without him. See, in life, we don't always catch that we have cancer until it's too late. But we know right away if there's a car accident, don't we? We notice right away the things that bring an instant change to us. But that's not the way it's going to happen. It's not going to be like a car accident. It's going to be like cancer going uncaught. And because it's human nature, we're always expecting this big moment, right? And because of that, the fears that we feed tend to tell us that the end times is going to look like a gun to our head. And that is possible that for some people it might look like that. But the Bible tells us that the thing that's really going to get people will look more like this. We're going to say, Jesus is Lord. And they're going to be like, Jesus? Jesus? Is Jesus going to feed your kids? No, he's not. But we will. This is what will. Here's something, instead of Christ, that will take care of you. Here's a way that you can buy the things that you need so you can get your family the things that they need to eat. John tells us exactly what the Antichrist were in his day, what, kind of what was going to lead to that. We know what they were in John's day. But what are they in ours? What are they in your life? What are the things that you choose instead of Christ? Think about it. If today, for instance, you are trusting the government, or if today you are trusting yourself in such a way that you're the one who's able to provide, and if today in your life you've convinced yourself that maybe you have the right to create your own moral code, a lot of people do that, and that whatever's true for you, that's your truth, And you can build your life on that no matter what it is. What that is saying is that you are the God of your life. You control your destiny. You pay the bills. You're the one who provides. And when the time comes, when the only way for you to keep providing is to give in to the demands of something that is instead of Christ, what would stop you from giving in to those demands? You've been doing it your entire life. You've been doing it all along. That's why I genuinely believe, and I've been really convicted about this. Christians need to kind of step out of this arena that we're in of self-preservation. Like, we need to stop worrying so much about making ourselves survive. And we need to step into the arena of mercy, and into the arena of compassion, and into the arena of justice and empathy. 
not trying to figure out how we survive, but always trying to figure out how to be there for other people when the broken system fails them. Because it will. And show them something that won't. We need to determine in our lives today that we trust Jesus. We trust Jesus. Okay, now, now here's the big idea. Here's the, the, the close to this message, and this is where we gotta, you got to catch this. See, John's big message to the church here, even though I just spent a lot of time on Antichrist, the big message was not about the Antichrist. It says the Antichrist exists, but there's a back end to that. There's a second part to that. See, look at verse 20 and verse 21. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. John tells his church there are antichrists, but the antichrist can't touch the anointing because something happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit filled the lives of everyone there, and he continued to fill the lives of everybody who sought him on that day and everybody who sought him every day after that. And he will fill your life today if you seek him. Jesus, in John chapter 16, he says, I have to go so that the Holy Spirit can come. And he says that when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is going to convict us. He's going to show us parts of our lives that need to be gone. They need to be done away with. He's going to show us the parts of our lives that need to change, the parts of our lives that we've chosen instead of Christ. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to bring to remembrance the things that Jesus already taught us. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will equip you. And Jesus says this. He says, I am going, but I will not leave you as orphans. I won't do it. I'm going to give you the Spirit. See, Jesus knew that the world is messy. He knew that antichrists were coming. And he wouldn't dare leave us alone to face it. And if that's not enough for you, look at the next verse in verse John 2, uh, 1 John 2, 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too are going to abide in the Son and the Father. You have in you right now what you need to understand the difference between good and evil, between right and wrong, between Christ and Antichrist. Now verse 26 and 27. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. John says, I write you, because people are trying to deceive you. But you have what? You have the anointing. A couple lines later, he says, this anointing teaches you. And now when, when this says, like, oh, you have no need that anybody should teach you, it's not saying that we should never, we shouldn't have teachers at all. It's not saying that we should just stop learning. But what it's saying is this. It's saying the gospel message is so simple. And just because maybe I can get up here and dissect it a bit for you and hopefully show you a ways that this actually applies to your life that you might not have realized... And just because some people have master's degrees and some people have doctorates in this stuff, that's amazing and it's wonderful and it's good, but it does not change the gospel. You are completely capable of grasping the gospel. You are completely capable 
of grasping the love of Jesus Christ without me, without a master's degree or a doctorate degree, without any of the things that the world may think give you credibility. But the big word here is anointing. Anointing matters more than education. Education matters, but anointing matters more. I dare say that anointing matters even more than reality. Because anointing is the one thing which the Spirit can break through an impossible situation and He can bring possibilities out of it. Anointing is why we do not diminish prayer in tragic moments when we might feel powerless. We might think it's some cheap excuse to not take any action. Anointing will actually show us what action we can take. And here in this passage that we just read, the word anointing, it shows up two times in verse 27, one time in verse 20. Which means that in today's passage, for every time we read about the Antichrist, we also read about the anointing. Because we're not going to be able to face the world that every day sets itself more and more and more in opposition to the message of the gospel. That's just trying to sell us this bill of goods that's supposed to fill us, but it's never going to because it's in opposition to Christ. It's instead of Christ. But you're not going to be able to resist that without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But here's the amazing thing. John makes this so clear. You have the anointing. John says it like this in 1 John 4, 4. He says, greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Pentecost changed everything. Pentecost is changing everything. And in a broken world with lots and lots of things that seek to put themselves in the place of Christ, with lots and lots of things that want, they want to, the world wants to give you instead of Christ, that seek our hearts instead of Christ, we have the spirit of the living God living in us, breathing in us, and helping us to pave that path forward in life. And if we keep abiding in him, then when we encounter an Antichrist, we're going to know, and we're going to overcome it. Because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world.